Today on the Potential Psychology Podcast. Essentially, hope theory is this idea that we have these components to hope, this sense of positivity about the future, but also it's not just the kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best. It's really an active, so it really comes from motivational theory. So we have what we call the will and the way or willpower and way power, but also the why power, which is looking at meaning and purpose, like bigger questions, and also the we power. So the we power is that we don't exist in a vacuum. So what resources could we use? What is around me? What are the systems that are around me? Who are the people who are around me? Where do I operate? What resources can I pull from that? What conversations can I have? What questions can I ask? Who's here to help me? Welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, psychologist Ellen Jackson, and this is the show in which we explore what it is to be human and how we as humans can fulfill our potential. Welcome back to the Potential Psychology Podcast and another of our wonderful conversations with Dr. Joe Sweeney regarding the future of work and particularly how that pertains to perhaps, shall I say, parental concerns, parental interests, the thoughts and ideas of you as our listeners and respondents to the survey, the survey, what's a survey, the survey <laughs> that Joe put out there into the world to explore what are the things that interest you, what are the questions do you have, what are the things that concern you, and we're unpacking a bit of that on today's show and in this series of conversations. So welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm quite okay for it to be called a servant, eh? I think that's a much more interesting <laughs> word. One of the things I love about you know, what I see in classrooms is uh, certain children creating new words or creating new meanings for old words and blending words together. I love that. Um, a crypto crossword fanatic. So, well, Servanay is the new word. It's, it's now a Servanay, <laughs> and I'm glad that you enjoyed my um, inability to speak. <laughs> As a dyslexic, I know exactly what you said. You understand. You understand. <laughs> what are we going to explore today, Joe? Well, in the last uh, last week, you were talking about this thing called hope theory, which was actually something I was not very familiar with. Uh, but it really resonated with me because given the fact that so many of the parents that we interviewed have grave concerns for the future, and yet in other ways, they're actually very positive. They have got some really interesting comments about, for example, how they see schooling, uh, how they see the future. Yes, it's going to be very disruptive, but they're, they're overall, they're hopeful. So it resonated with me, and I wanted to know a little bit more about how this idea of hope can be used to basically bolster resilience, to to improve the system that we've got, and you know maybe to make a hopeful future. Yeah. Well, look. Okay. So we've, we've turned the tables, and you're asking me the questions yeah, <laughs> this morning. Yeah. But that's great because I, I hope theory is something that, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert. I, I have colleagues, uh, largely at the University of Melbourne, who study this stuff deeply. They are certainly the experts. Mm. What I will do is my best to translate perhaps some of that academic research into conversation and usefulness. It's all incredibly useful, but you know, for anybody who's read academic papers, they're not always the easiast things to understand Guilty. and absorb. <laughs> yeah. So essentially hope theory is one of the, I think, core theories of positive psychology. So I feel that's been around for the better part of, um, shall I say, 30 years. It's, it's, had the umbrella term since the early 2000s. Hope theory itself actually predates that. So 1991, Rick Snyder 
published the initial paper and it was really starting to explore the mechanics of psychological hope. So I think I might have touched on this in an earlier conversation, this idea that we have these components to hope, this sense of positivity about the future, but also it's not just the kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best. It's really an active, so it really comes from motivational theory. So it's understanding what drives and motivates and hope is something that drives and motivates us. So the initial kind of way of shaping it up was we have what we call the will and the way or willpower and way power. And the willpower is having a sense that I have a sense of agency, we call it agency, Mm. so a belief that I can make progress towards my goal. So it's very much sitting within, you know, kind of goal theory, understanding goals, understanding motivation is where it initially comes from. So I have the the will and then I have the way. So the way is about pathway. So when you're using this in a really practical sense, certainly for me as a coach, I would help somebody to unpack, you know, here's, here's a goal or an aspiration, here's something that I'm working towards. And I would help that person to unpack not only what are the steps that I need to get there. So, so often we kind of have these ideas of a goal in the future, but we don't necessarily articulate to ourselves or to anybody else the the Uh practical steps I need to take to get to that point, the things that I need to do. We just kind of, it just becomes Mm. a sort of ephemeral kind of, I'd like to get there one day wish. Yeah, exactly. And it's the process of unpacking that. So if you're doing it in a coaching type scenario, and this would be the same with a kid, is to start to say, right, if you want to do that, if that's a goal that you want to attain, how are you going to go? What do you think the steps are that you need to take? What are the things that you need to put in place? Are there things you need to, you know, additional skills you need to learn? Are there conversations that you need to have? Is there learning that you need to do? Or, you know, if you break it down to a really practical short-term goal, it's just the simply what are the literal steps that you need to take to get from point A to point B. And that process of doing that starts to unpack the pathway element of it, the way, how am I going to do this? And when people start to do that unpacking of it, they also build this sense of agency as well. Go, oh, actually, that's probably not that hard. You know, I could probably do that. I could take that step. Mm. And so it starts to become a much more intrinsically motivated, you know, something that I can actually get done rather than a wish. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I do remember one of the most transformational books for me as a teenager was the complete management, time management system. And I'm sorry, I forget the author. I'll, I'll get into mm, the link. We'll look it up. And it's very old school. I mean, it's pre, it's really almost pre-computer thinking, but it was very much about creating a daily diary. And in particular, what I've learned over the years is that you have three-month goals, no more than that. You have a lifetime goal. Yeah, that's the big wish list. Mm. And breaking breaking down, you know, you have no more than one, maybe one professional, one personal goal that you're going to try and achieve, get to. And then you break it down into a series of actions over weeks. And then as you wake up each day, you look at those goals and you're reminded of them and you're reminded about, you know, what you need to do next. Now, what I didn't realize is um, that was actually a defensive mechanism because I'm both very dyslexic and I thought I was doing it because I was disorganized in, internally. But no, recently I've been uh, diagnosed as being really high performance ADHD, which shouldn't surprise anybody. But this is a, you know, this idea of diarizing and creating, uh, I call them tasks, but they're actually goals. Hmm. Is actually fantastic. Yeah, and pathways. And they're fantastic for morale. It's one of the things that keeps me jumping out of bed. 
Mm. So I see, a, you know, there's a personal, there's a real personal resonance here to this. And it's funny, every time I mentor some young person who's going into university or going into the field, I always say the number one thing you do is keep a diary, not a digital calendar. Mm. Keep written mm. papers. It doesn't matter if you never go back to them. Keep that and keep those reflections and keep that plan active. A way to organise your thoughts. Yeah. So, if I, you know, to all the parents out there, take note of this hope theory because it actually has real tangible and long-term lifetime benefits. Yeah. And what's been really interesting, so you mentioned there about morale, Joe, and what's been mm. really interesting. So I said that this this theory, 1991, so, you know, 31 years ago now, is that obviously, like any scientific field, it's grown and developed and changed and shifted and on the back of what were perhaps, I don't like to call them criticisms, they kind of are criticisms, but, critiques. you know, any, any yeah, <laughs> critiques, anything that, you know, happens in science is all about developing an idea mm. and, and continuing to progress it forward. So, some of what came out of that was, oh, is this a bit individualistic? It's really mm. only focused on what is happening for the individual and doesn't yeah. take into account the context around them. So a really interesting paper that I'll, I'll reference in the show notes for the nerds who like to read the source material. Um, it's actually a, not quite source material because it's a, a meta-analysis, which is always my favourite paper to write because I'm not very good at getting into the weeds and the details. So give me the big <laughs> picture summary is where I'm at. But it's called A New Hope for Positive Psychology, A Dynamic Systems Reconceptualization of Hope Theory. It's by Rachel Collar, Paige Williams, uh, Lindsay Odes and Jesus Camacho Morles. And the first three of those authors I've actually had as guests on the show, which is rather nice. So they've done this work that was actually published in February of this year and looking at the kind of the where's it come from, what are the critiques, where does it need to go. And so they've added these two other concepts into, so to looking at it as a much more multidimensional construct that takes into account the systems piece, you know, the fact that mm. humans don't operate in isolation or in vacuums. And so they've added, so we've now got not just the willpower and the way power, but also the why power, yes. which is looking at meaning and purpose, like bigger questions. So mm. a lot of this research has been done with, you know, what we call college students or university students. So helping them to understand not just, you know, what it is I want to achieve, but that why, how does this play into my values? How does this play into who I am? Because we know so much more about how important that is for motivation now as well. So we've got now the addition of the why power and also the we power. Yes. So the we power is that piece around, you know, we don't exist in a vacuum. So, and what resources could we use? So we come back to motivation and kind of the goal achievement or, you know, wish achievement and have a look at, you know, what is around me? What are the systems that are around me? Who are the people who are around me? Where do I operate? What resources can I pull from that? What conversations mm. can I have? What questions can I ask? Who's here to help me? So it's really starting to kind of flesh this out into a, a lovely, more complex and probably more realistic understanding of, of hope as a motivational force. I think that's wonderful. There was an exercise I have used both on myself, but also with uh, children where we call it neighbourhood mapping or community mapping. Mm. And it's a great activity, again, for the parents listening. If your, your child has said that they want to achieve something, and it's a big goal, and usually it's on that why question. It's mm. you know, What I looked at is I actually wanted to create or have come into existence a program to get children playing role-playing games, tabletop games, story games. So I called it the Imagination Day. And the activity that you do when you have these big whys is you say, who else would be interested in this? So you put yourself in the center of like a mind map. And then you have together working with your, your, your child, you, you start drawing lines out and saying, 
who are your friends? Who's in the school? Who, who do you know in the industry? And you suddenly discover when you do these maps, they grow. So, for example, in going back to that, that imagination day, I had a lot of contacts inside an online site that sells role-playing games. So I contacted them. And they actually then took that idea and ran with it. So it, it almost became you know, <laughs> out of my hands, which took was great. Took on a life but, of its own. But yeah, and, and that's perfectly okay. I think the we is incredibly powerful. And you can, by visualizing it, making it real, you can tell that I'm a very big advocate of making these fairly, you know, hope theory and everything you're describing there is, is, it sounds academic. But when you actually sit down, you create lists and you draw it out with your children they start to see that they have a lot more power. And I think, I haven't thought of that as hope previously, mm. but now I now see where that's all coming yeah. from. So that's very, very exciting. And that probably also explains an interesting trait that we saw in the data, which was that parents are actually, they've got very high expectations for good things to happen for their kids. And the skills and the traits that they would have were actually all very positive in nature. Uh, I'll just go through some of them if you'd like. Mm, that'd be great. We asked how important will each of these traits be for success in the future for their children. And the number one, uh, which isn't surprising, is flexibility. But mm. what was then really interesting is the number two was the ability to focus, to be focused and laser focused on something. And that comes to that intent, that how, if you will. Mm. And then we had a couple that were, were tied for um, third place, which is really interesting. This is interesting data. Ethical, resilient, and compassionate. So mm, That is so interesting, isn't it? Now, it could be self-biased data, of course, you know, but I've seen similar results. This is the why. We asked another question about what would the future of work look like? And I'm just trying to quickly scan through the data because what we saw is that here it is, making a difference outside of basically maximizing your income, because income is important, but making a difference, being in control of your work, these were more were more important than many other factors. So, yeah, this thing of hope is very, very real. Mm. And that making a difference really speaks to that, the mm. why power of this theory, you know, that kind of meaning and purpose is, is a difficult concept to explain. <laughs> there is a lot of research, but it's relatively recent. I mean, you can go back to kind of Viktor Frankl and some original thinkers in this area, mm. but, and, and, you know, further back indeed to Greek philosophy, but certainly in the kind of recent research, it's still very much a growing field. It's still something we're yeah. coming to grips with, but from a lot of people, or one of the sort of explanations that I most like is this idea of meaning is feeling like you're serving something larger than yourself. So feeling like you're actually doing something that is aligned with your values, but it, it's actually attached to the doing of something for somebody else rather than for yourself, which is very much that community, but also compassion, you know, the ethics and compassion that came out in that list. Um, resilience, mm. I think, has been discussed to death, but <laughs> ethics and <laughs> compassion are really interesting because, you know, behaving ethically is is about how you behave in the context of other people. Having compassion, although I've, we've spoken a lot on the show about the importance of self-compassion, but also for most people, you know, having compassion is around having compassion for others, having compassion for situations, having compassion for, yeah, community and the world. Yeah, it's also no surprise that actually the lowest ranked uh, trait was ruthlessness, being Ooh. ruthless. Yeah, okay. And it was significantly 
the greatest difference. Uh, there was a few other negative comments in there that we we were searching for, but yeah, everything you're saying is really validated in, in, in what we're seeing in parents' expectations. But you're also reminding me of the fact that there's a correlation between the fastest growing tech companies that are generally those that have a very strong set of ethical statements. And they're not just statements, they actually have corporate guidance and they will walk away from business as a result of that. Salesforce is a major one. Microsoft, also very, very strong. And these organizations, when I talk to their executive and when we do talk to them on a a fairly regular basis for my technology side of my job, it's really clear to me that the executive understand that this is not just a competitive weapon. This is something which they will use to make sure they get the right people, the we component. So I think that this, you know, when we think about this, it's not just about our kids. It's also about the types of jobs they will be living into. So really, really interesting. It was interesting, Joe. You mm. said you mentioned earlier that this, you know, research or the data that we're, we're discussing here is the questions that were put to parents, because it's interesting because a lot of the research around hope at the moment and some of the survey data that's come from people like Gallup, and it actually came up at a conference that I've just been at, the Regional Australia Institute's National Summit. They were talking about how approximately fifty percent of young people are not hopeful about their future. So there's kind of an interesting disconnect there that perhaps yeah, parents are hopeful, but kids aren't or well, not all I, I, kids. Well, or... we know from the data that we collected that that's about right. About 50% of them very worried about the future. Hmm. But when they look at what it will take to be successful in the future, these are all words that describe, at least in the way that you're talking about, some form of hopefulness, a better person, a better future. Hmm. Uh, it's almost like Star Trek, you know, the old hmm. you know, hmm. there's this idea that our kids will will inherit a pretty uncertain world and we're scared for them, but there'll be great kids, there'll be fantastic adults, and when they have, you know, this flexibility, this critical thinking, they're compassionate, they have all of those hope traits, that's when the world becomes a better place again. It's probably a very natural human trait to put the onus of betterment on our children. Yeah, yeah. But I think, too, it speaks a little bit to the things we can control and the things that we can't. Mm. You know, we there's so much of the world that we can't control. You know, we've, we've been through things that were so unexpected, like a, a pandemic. There's, you know, so much change. And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I always still feel a bit silly when I say things like that. You know, there's so much change at the moment. There's always been change. You know, this is not yeah. new to humankind. <laughs> and some of the changes were far more dramatic and, and had much more life and death impacts in the past than they do now. But that sense of there's a lot in my world that I can't necessarily control and yet perhaps these factors that we're talking about are more closely linked to this concept of hope. These are things that I as a parent can hopefully influence, you know, for my children. I can help to build their resilience. I can speak to them in a way that helps them to understand and and discover the importance of compassion or ethics. You know, they're in within the realms of things we can control to some extent. And mm. I know for me, you know, certainly from a psychological point of view, the more we focus on the things that we can control, the more hopeful we become because the more agency we feel we have. If we're constantly focused on the things that we have no control over, we lose a lot of that sense of agency. We lose a sense of empowerment and that mm. that's where kind of hopelessness, which is a sign and symptom of depression, lives. So let's, you know, flip the song and say, okay, what can parents do to give their kids the traits and the skills to be hopeful. And I think one of the key ones that we talked about there was this idea of literally working with children, even at a very young age, to set their own goals. And I think it's really important that it's them setting the goals, not being imposed from outside. 
Now, this is known as authentic learning inside education, and it's it's a well-known field, and it's actually part of the quality teaching cycle. In the study, we did ask parents how well they thought schools were preparing their children for the future of work. And what was really interesting, and this is a big uptake since the pandemic, since parents have had a lot more time in the classroom you know, virtually with, with teachers, is that almost 40%, it was 36% of parents said that they were, that schools were doing an excellent job and a further 31% said that they were doing a good job, really helping them understand the types of traits they would need for the future. Only about 8% said that they were, were worried that, that it wasn't happening. Now, this is completely the reverse of what you sometimes hear in the media, which mm. is, oh, schools are teaching to a, an archaic system. And, you know, it's, the reality is somewhere in between. Having worked in education, I absolutely know that schools spend a lot of time making sure that children have the ability to be flexible, to be organised, to be self-learners, to be creative, to be pragmatic in a way, you know, knowing how to just get stuff done. So I think if the parents can come in and back that up by you know, encouraging their kids to create little task lists or working with them at a very young age to create little task lists. Japan has a wonderful social trait of having children at very young ages go off and do adult jobs. That's this idea of play, but learning through play. So all of this is things I think these are all activities that, that parents can do to prepare their children, read to them <laughs> and help them create you know, action lists and help them live into those. At the same time, you're not always going to be able to, to reach those goals. Sometimes life gets in the way. And that's okay too. And I think it's really, really important. And I know one of the things that quite a few people who start diarising struggle with is life gets in the way and you don't meet that goal. That's okay. It's only something written on a piece of paper. It's only a goal. Yeah, the, yeah. That goal can survive beyond that. You know, it's a balance between knowing, you know, being kind to yourself and being in action. And the other area is this idea of the we, which I really hadn't thought of, but I've used it previously with students extremely successfully to get them to realise that they are greater than the sum of, you know, their community, if you will. Mm, mm. So I think these are very tangible actions that we can start looking at. We might also set some homework to maybe think about some other things that you can do along these lines. Yeah, because ultimately, absolutely. they are the traits that are going to allow your, your children to cope with whatever that unknown workforce looks like. And the added bonus of this is that going through all of those practical activities and helping kids to develop their own sense of hope and their own sense of agency and their own sense of understanding that I have control over not everything, but certainly some things. And that's just through that process of doing it. You know, what is the goal? Mm -hmm. How would you mm -hmm. go about it? Who's available to help you? Is that that's, you know, so vital to our mental health and well-being as so well. It's good for the know. parents too. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's good for parents. It's good for kids. You know, it is yes. building resilience in in that psychological sense of whatever life throws at me, I feel I can do something in there to mm. help myself to forge forward, to feel hopeful even when it's hard. And that's, you know, the essence of resilience is that what we call a post-traumatic growth, you know, this is hard, mm. but I will learn, I will experience because I've got these tools in my toolkit. I'll keep forging forward. It's going to get really icky. It's going to get really uncomfortable, but I'll come out of it at the other end. And, and that's such a big, you know, as I said before, a feeling of hopelessness is one of the most damaging things we can have for our mental health and well-being. to feel that we have no control, to feel that we have no hope, that there is no point, that I can't do anything in this situation. So anything we can do to build that sense of hopefulness 
for kids is going to hold them in good stead longer term in terms of all the challenges that will no doubt face work-related and otherwise. Absolutely. You know, that's a really interesting insight. This is one of those areas I think, you know, I'm loath to use the term win-win, but it actually is. If you can address your fears about your, your children's future by giving them tangible mechanisms to work and to plan, that gives them hope, that gives them resilience. And then that comes back to you. And I think that's a fantastic insight. So definitely for our homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, and, and, you know, for everybody who's listening in, we can create a bit of a conversation. We now have a Q&A function mm. for anyone who listens on Spotify and Anchor in particular. There is a, a little question function that we can pose in every episode and people can actually pop their responses there so that we can make it a bit more of a, a conversation. There's also uh, voice messages you can leave for the podcast as well, which will be interesting and, of course, all of our bits and pieces on social media where you can kind of join in and tell us what you are doing or if you've got questions, Joe and I would be more than happy to try and answer those in a non-audio format around this particular conversation. Joe, was there anything else that we wanted to kind of... Oh, oh look, I think we've covered a lot for this one. I, I'm very interested to, to start talking about some of the other things that I know that you've, you've got we've us... Got lined um, up. That you got lined up, yep. I think what I really take from this session is... We can be in action. There are tangible physical activities that are actually very, very well known, both in education but also in, in business management, that we can bring down to our children in a fun, creative way that will have a big long-term impact on their, their success but also on your immediate mental health. So let's do that. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds great. And also just a reminder to our listeners that we have some other resources that we'll post. It's all in the show notes, but we've got some wonderful little graphic resources that give some tips and strategies that the wonderful Jay, who works for both of us, (laughs) has put (laughs) together. So they're there, they're kind of infographic style. So nice and, you know, colourful and interactive, but they've got really a nice little summary of a lot of the topics that Joe and I are discussing and uh, strategies and tips and a few kind of homework tasks, things to think about. So thank you, Joe. Another great conversation. We will see you next week for our next discussion around the future of work. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing that conversation with Dr. Joe Sweeney with me. If you haven't seen them already, we have put together some summary one pages for each episode of this series of podcasts with Dr. Joe, complete with some fab graphics thanks to our team member, Jay. And these infographics include some additional tips on helping your kids to thrive now and into the future. And we say kids, but as I've mentioned a few times so far in this series, there is nothing that we recommend for kids that isn't equally, if not more important, for us grown-ups. If you'd like to know more about our co-host, Joe, my co-host, we have a link to a fun Q&A in the show notes and we have an interactive show feature if you're listening on Spotify or Anchor, which includes a text-based Q&A on Spotify, but you can also send me a voice message on Anchor, which is kind of cool. You might have a question for me or for Joe, or maybe you have a great suggestion for a topic that you'd like to see me cover on the show. Let me know via Anchor. That's anchor.fm forward slash potential psychology. We'd also love it if you could rate and review the Potential Psychology podcast on whichever platform you're listening via. It is really helpful feedback for us and it really ensures that word gets out about the show and about the great guests who share their wisdom with us. And finally, don't forget that you can now become a special VIP member of the Potential Psychology Podcast community with access to our bonus episodes. To find out more, head to our website, potential.com.au or 
to anchor.fm forward slash potential psychology forward slash subscribe. And in our next conversation, my next conversation with Joe, we move from hope, an important psychological tool, to anti-fragility, which is kind of like bouncing forward instead of just bouncing back when life throws you a curveball. When we're anti-fragile, it means we've developed the skills of thriving through difficulty. And that's a really useful skill capability for all of us, particularly as the world changes so rapidly around us. So that's in our next episode of the Potential Psychology Podcast. It's in your ears very soon. But while you're waiting for that, please stay well, stay safe, and take small steps to fulfill your potential. Potential.